Hello, I'm Dr. Louise Newson, and welcome to my podcast. I'm a GP and menopause specialist, and I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity and the Menopause Support App called Balance. On the podcast, I will be joined each week by an exciting guest to help provide evidence-based information and advice about both the perimenopause and the menopause. So today I'm really, really excited actually to introduce to you someone called Professor Kulkarni, who's the other side of the world, a long way away. (laughs) And I've reached out to her a few years ago now to say, I've read your work. You're the very, very inspirational. And I'm really worried about the mental health aspect of the menopause. What do you think? And you replied to say, it's a huge amount of work and people often aren't listening, Louise. What can we do? And so we've sort of reached out a lot and I still hold you in such high esteem and regard. And I'm very privileged that you're here today. So thank you very much. No, thank you very much for inviting me. So here I am in Melbourne everyone's going to bed and you're starting your day. So we do have the problems of being in different time zones, but we are absolutely, I feel like I've found a kindred spirit in terms of the work that we're doing. And I'm really appreciative of all the work that you do. And I think we both realise the mountain that we have to move Mm. in order to get people to understand about the mental health aspects of menopause, because they're certainly not there yet, except for our patients who, of course, are unfortunately suffering because of this lack of recognition of the effect of menopause on the brain. Yeah. And so just to take back, so you're not a gynecologist, you're not a GP. What are you? (laughs) I am a psychiatrist and I've been a researcher pretty much from the time that I got my fellowship of the Royal Australian New Zealand College of Psychiatry. And I've been in... um, neuroendocrine work and I first started doing research looking at the use of estrogen in women with schizophrenia Mm. and looking at the impact of estradiol in the brain for women who had psychosis and it was really interesting work and uh, pretty um, pleased that I got into the field and we found that in fact estradiol was really good for decreasing some of the auditory hallucinations and really awful, awful symptoms that women with schizophrenia have. And learning more about the hormone side of things, then I expanded into looking at depression and obviously menopause depression is a really important part Mm. for many other aspects of women's mental health. Yeah, and it's so interesting, isn't it? So I think for many years, and I think about this a lot, actually, the menopause is defined by whether we have periods or not. So it's almost defined as to what our uterus, our womb is doing. Mm. And we know that our ovaries are attached either side to our womb. And so it's about whether our ovaries are working or not. And then it's talked a lot about reproduction. And there's this sort of post-reproductive phase, as in the menopause. So as a menopausal woman, I could be defined because I don't have periods. I could be defined because I'm not fertile. But actually, what I as a scientist and doctor who's very holistic thinks about well it's loss of hormones in our body that are really important biologically active hormones 
all around our body, but especially our brains. And I think that is quite challenging, isn't it, for some people to realise. And I feel really bad. I didn't realise that 30 years ago when I was a junior (laughs) doctor. And when I did psychiatry, which I really enjoyed, it's just the most fascinating specialty. No one talked about mental health and female hormones. And I don't think it's moved forward, has it, really much? Not really. Not really. It's still an issue. And somehow we've managed to get ourselves into the situation where the brain or, and I don't actually think there is a mind, I think it's all brain, we've made up the concept of mind to cover the feelings, emotions and cognition, but really it's brain. And somehow we've put a divide between the body and the brain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, psychiatrists will never think about the body or don't think about the body very much. And in particular, these hormones, estrogen, progesterone and testosterone have got the label of being reproductive hormones and it's like that's all they're mm. there for is to help with reproduction and uh, of course that's completely wrong these are the really key and potent brain steroids mm. and they have enormous numbers of function in the brain but yeah we still operate in that Descartes philosophical dualism of mind and body being quite separate which is really very archaic and neuroscientifically very wrong. Absolutely. And somebody wrote about Easterdahl being nature's psychoprotectant, which I thought was very interesting. So talk me through then. Why are these hormones, they're working in our brains? How do they work and where do they work in our brains? So estrogen, and first of all, you know, this is another thing that we do incorrectly. We talk about estrogen as if it's one thing and we talk about progesterone as if it's one thing and of course it's not. Mm. So we know even the natural estrogens, there's at least five different types and there are changes in the type of estrogen in pregnancy, there's changes Mm. in the menopause. So, you know, this is a very interesting and complicated hormone. But when we look at what's going on in the brain, estradiol, which is 17-beta-estradiol, is the most potent form of estrogen does cross into the brain and has many receptors and, you know, sort of is the key to the lock in many different parts of the brain, as well as having an effect on all the brain chemicals that we know are involved in depression, anxiety, eating disorders, the whole works. So, you know, we all know about serotonin, as in the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, the SSRI, antidepressants. Estrogen has a potent effect on serotonin. It also has a potent effect on dopamine, which is the key neurochemical that's involved in psychosis or schizophrenia. You know, there's many systems that uh, estrogen has the chemistry interaction with. The other thing that is also happening is it's also having a direct effect on the neural circuitry. So the actual wiring of the brain, both the hard and soft wiring of the brain, is influenced by estrogen in basically making circuits stronger. And how do we learn? We learn by repetition. If I want to learn another language, I'm going to repeat words and phrases until it becomes ingrained or until that particular brain circuit is strong. And that's partly a role that estrogen has. It actually helps with new learning and also retaining knowledge. So that's all these things combined Estrogen has a chemical effect, it also has a structural effect, it also has a circuitry effect. That's why it's called the neuroprotectant or brain protection Mm. agent. 
And I think, you know, it takes it far away from ovulation and keeping the uterus happy and Mm. having a, a baby. You know, this is higher order memory, higher order educational tasks, new learning, and also emotion and also clear thinking. So it's got a lot of roles. And yet for a long time, we just kind of relegated it to one bit of the body. And it's so important because, you know, all the things that you're saying, obviously without estrogen, there's no surprise that people find they can't concentrate. A lot of people tell me they've stopped reading books or listening to radio stations because they can't process the whole thinking through treacle, the brain fog, the reduced motivation, and obviously the low mood and all that that goes with it. And there's always a pushback at the minute. There seems to be a big debate whether taking HRT reduces dementia or not. And if we flip it the other way, we know women who have low estrogen, as in who are menopausal, have an increased risk of dementia. That's very well established. And we know that the longer a woman is without her hormones, the higher the risk is. And I'm not saying that every menopausal woman will develop dementia. And I'm not saying that every menopausal woman will have mental health issues. And the brain is amazing the way it can adapt and use other hormones and other processes. But because we have receptors for cells in our brains, they're there for a reason. The hormone is there for a beneficial reason, isn't it? So a a lot of things, I think, when we struggle with in medicine, I just try and look at common sense and go back to basic pathophysiology. And so if you look at basic physiology, the way that estradiol is used in our brain a very straightforward processes actually everybody now seems to know about serotonin the so-called happy hormone which is really important and even dopamine we talk a lot even with addiction in the reward centers of our brains of course we want to be happy of course we want to find pleasure in things that we do but why are we stripping our body from estradiol without giving it back it doesn't make sense if you just look at our brains. I don't know whether there's you can answer any of that. <laughs> well, I think some of the answers in that is that, you know, we've got to look at longevity. And if you went back to the Neanderthal ages, we wouldn't be around because, you know, people, women died in their 40s or even younger. So teleologically, our systems were not geared at that point to actually keep going and going and going until the 80s and 90s, which is far more common these days. So we spend a lot of time as a post-menopausal woman, which none of our forebears did. And that's wonderful, you know. Thank goodness we've got better infection control. We've got all the things that aid our longevity and, you know, for a long time, medicine was all about mobility in people who, as we got older, and it was about just making sure your bones were strong enough to mm. support you. But what I think is really on the top of everyone's list is not just longevity, but fabulous quality of life. If you're going to live to 90-something, you want to be happy, you want to be productive, you want to enjoy what's out there. So it means that you know, while we're busy supplementing this, that and the other thing to keep going with the ageing process, I think brain ageing as a result of menopause and the mental health aspects really need attention Mm. in a proportion of menopausal women. I never, like you, I'm not trying to put oestrogen in the water supply here. You know, I'm really, really keen that what we're saying is some women 
and unfortunately it's not a small number, but some women are really vulnerable mm. and very sensitive to fluctuations in their estradiol levels in the brain. And when menopause hits, it's the biggest fluctuation that happens. And so these are the women from 45 years of age onwards who really experience maybe sometimes even first time ever major, crushing, debilitating depression or if they've had depression before and it's been well contained and controlled, suddenly it goes haywire and, again, their lives become completely, mm. you know, just distressed and despairing about things that they could do before. So I find, you know, they're the patients I'm seeing, both groups, first-time depression around 45 to 50 or a relapse of depression. And in both of those situations, the woman herself intuitively will tell me, mm. I think it's my hormones, Doc. I really think something's happened to my hormones. And I sit there nodding going, yep, I agree with you. Many others wouldn't. No, and I think it's really interesting because for the last 20 years, we've always talked about the risks of taking HRT, which we know for many types, there aren't any risks or any risks are very low with any type of HRT. But what we need to do is think about the risks of not taking it. So the yes. risks, not just to our, like you say, our bones, our heart, but our brains as well. So then it, because it becomes a bit more normalized in a conversation, because there are a lot of people there who are not taking HRT because they feel it's a failure or they have to be, have certain symptoms or they can only take it if they have hot flushes because that's how it's licensed or whatever. Whereas it's these subtle changes that people won't attribute to the menopause. And a patient I spoke to this morning was saying, oh, I feel fine. She said, my work's become really stressful and my sleep's been a lot poorer and I'm getting some urinary symptoms. But I'm not sure that's my hormones. I think it's my stressful life. And I don't know. Of course, it might be a stressful life. But I do know that we need to balance hormones because it's good for future health and then we can see what's left and I didn't realize really until I opened the clinic and I suppose it's different here to general practice because people self-refer so they're women like you're saying the ones who think it's their hormones will come to my clinic they won't come otherwise because I'm just a, a menopause and perimenopause clinic but over the last seven years I've seen massive pattern recognition of women coming and they're telling me that they think it's their hormones, but they're actually telling me very harrowing stories. I see mm. and speak to a lot of women who are scared because they think they're going to harm themselves or actually take yes. their own lives. Yes. And I spoke to someone recently. And they do, and actually. They do, absolutely do. Yes. We've had one lady who was on our waiting list, which thankfully we don't have a waiting list anymore. But when we did, her husband then reached out and said she doesn't need to come because she's taken her own life. And her, oh. I spoke to the husband and she was on HRT, actually. She was feeling fine. She'd been on it two years as a 57-year-old woman and her GP said, you don't need it anymore. You've been on it for far too long. Come <laughs> off it. And a few weeks after, her mental state deteriorated. And, you know, of course, I don't know whether it's related to her hormones, but we see stories, we hear a lot of people. And to be honest, it's almost easier in the clinic because the women who we see who are very psychologically distressed have already been under psychiatrists for many years. They've often been sections. Quite a few have had ECT. Some of them have had very heavy duty drugs and then they're diagnosed with resistant depression. And I still, I say to them, I have no idea whether it's your hormones or not. 
but you're 57, you're menopausal, I'm happy to try some hormones and see what happens, knowing they have full support from their psychiatrists and mental health teams and families as well, actually. But it's often a combination, I find, of hormones, estradiol, testosterone, and if they need progesterone as well. But it seems to be this balance of hormones has the most amazing effect on women. And we also know that antidepressants can work better in the presence of estrogen as well, don't they? So for me, I feel I'm doing a very low risk, no harm medical approach. But it has been transformational in so many people's lives. I feel Yes, it's great, but then it makes me even more frustrated, as you know, and I know you're frustrated, is that why are we not thinking more first line of women who are have postnatal depression when they're estradiol's level, when they have PMS, when they're feeling bad just before their periods, when they're perimenopausal with these great fluctuations? You know, why are we not doing more about it? I find it really frustrating for women, actually. I think there's a, an incredible bias And in the mental health area, you know, it's quite primitive, Mm. I've got to say, and this is one of the things we struggle with. We don't have objective markers of disease. So, you know, the diagnosis of depression is dependent on Mm. the clinician making a good fist of it. Same with any of the mental health disorders. We don't have a biomarker. And so then it becomes this kind of, well, you know, it's your guess, it's my guess, and we could maybe, you know, try this. And people are happy to experiment in the mental health field, which is bizarre Mm. because I see women like you, you know, who've come with, they're on lithium, which is toxic to the thyroid and kidneys and blood, you know, it's Mm. got millions of side effects. And yet the doctors are very happy to play with lithium. Let's throw in an antipsychotic. Well, we Mm. know that these are the nuclear weapons in the psychiatric armamentarium. So, you know, these are big drugs and yet... There's this kind of complete blank when it comes to hormone treatments, which actually are easier to start and stop because, if you know, I tell my patients if, if it's not suiting, then you can stop and nothing dreadful is going to happen. Absolutely. And that's what's so important. You know, I always say to women, it's completely reversible. I'm not giving you an injection that's going to last for years or an operation. It is just hormones that you're in control of every day. So you can try. Yes. And see, and, you know, you can easily stop them, but also the dose might need changing. And it's about optimizing dose, I think, is also really important because a lot of women we see say, well, I've been on HRT and it didn't help. And then when you ask them what it was, the dose was very low or they weren't given testosterone or they only tried it for three or four days and then they, you know, (laughs) decided to stop, whatever. So I think it's really important that women have a good therapeutic trial, if you see what I mean. But The other thing is, is that a lot of these drugs, so ones such as catiapine, you know, these heavy duty antipsychotic drugs, a lot of psychiatrists in the UK, but probably for you as well, will measure prolactin levels because they can affect the levels of prolactin in the body. Now, when we have raised prolactin, it will suppress our follicular stimulating hormone, our FSH level. If that level is low, then we'll produce less hormones. So it's almost giving people a chemical menopause. So if they were having periods beforehand, but no one seems to be thinking about that. And a lot of these women who are on these various drugs find that they put on weight, they 
have raised blood pressure, they become slower in their mood, their cholesterol raises. And I'm sure that a lot of that's related to their sex hormones being so low. But it's almost like that sort of area of all the endocrine pathways is forgotten, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I still can't quite understand it. Well, I think it's the compartmentalisation mm. that, you know, it's fine if you're a psychiatrist to work in the mental health field, so you will prescribe the mental health drugs mm. but these drugs the hormones are in somebody else's mm. bag but the somebody else is usually a gynecologist or an endocrinologist and they're not thinking mental health at all so it's this very odd it's very disjointed isn't it? yeah yes it's just it's bizarre it's it's the Descartes you know I always remember the mind body split and it's a really weird way to practice medicine because mm. in fact the woman is a whole woman sitting in front of you with all the mind, the brain, body and environment, mm. you know, all in interaction all the time. So I do despair of the compartmentalisation that goes on. I hope that we've got generations of doctors coming through, the younger generations that are a bit more happy to, you know, have a bit of this and a bit of that and, and sort of look at the different fields because we should be learning a lot more about what's the latest what's the latest in neurology that I can apply mm. in psychiatry and vice versa and it, that's just two fields but you know a lot of different areas we need to get together and actually be able to look at the problems for the whole woman to be able to help her and menopause is somebody once said to me menopause is a kind of nobody owns menopause it's sort of an orphan it's left out there and it's ugly because it's middle-aged women. Who mm. wants to know anything about middle-aged women? And no particular specialty owns it. So you find that, in fact, there's not a lot of champions. You know, you get advocacy for a particular blood disorder by the haematologists who go in marching in there. But who's marching for menopause? And I think we're really, it's a real problem. You're absolutely right. I was talking to someone called Professor Chris Hardy this morning, who's from Newcastle. He's an amazing researcher, but he's a urologist. And we're doing some work looking at how hormones can reduce urinary tract infections and reduce the need for antibiotic prescribing. And we're talking about research and he was talking about gynecologist and I was saying hang on Chris it's not a gynecological specialty he was going well what do you mean I said it's a women's health <laughs> specialty but then women's health is always thought of as gynecology I said but I need to research with somebody who's in general practice who's in primary care who's in medicine you know this is not about I mean I'm I'm not a gynecologist I think so much more beyond the pelvic organs and I think this is where you're right menopause has just drifted around I said to him look if I was doing research in diabetes I wouldn't get in touch with a pancreatic surgeon he said, no, of course you wouldn't. And I said, well, this is the same. And there are a lot of gynecologists who don't want to be involved in the menopause because they're doing cancer surgery. They're doing other work on the womb, very appropriate work, but not about a time in a woman's life when their gynecological organs are not working. Like, why would they go and see a gynecologist? And I think this is where we've got it wrong, actually. Um, yes. That we really need to have a very joined up holistic approach because Hormones are really important. Of course they are. But also, you know, what we eat will affect the way that our brain yes. works. Even if I see a lot of women who have really itchy, dry skin. Actually, if you're yes. driven to distraction with your dry, itchy skin, that's going to affect your mental health, isn't it? Of course. <laughs> you know, I've had women come in and say they've given themselves lice treatment for their yeah. itchy head 
and, you know, they've been to the chemist and spent a fortune mm. and have this dreadful smelly stuff in their hair the whole time. And, of course, it's not helping. It's just their <laughs> hormones. Yes. I mean, we can laugh about some of the symptoms, but it underlines the point that it's a whole body phenomenon. Mm. So I actually look forward to the day when you act, and you have done this in the UK. We haven't here so much, but, you know, to actually have menopause experts who set up holistic clinics so that women can go and get their treatment and have the whole range of everything mm, looked at mm. because it does affect so many things. I mean, autoimmune situations, the musculoskeletal changes, which then prevent women from exercising, which then means they gain weight, etc., etc. It's an awful holistic uh, mess if it's not picked up quickly. Totally right. And, you know, I, I sort of, you know, we're talking a lot about the menopause, but it's the perimenopause, isn't it? That's really important. And one of the things that we're trying to work out with, as you know, we're funding a PhD student from Liverpool, and we're looking at this MenoD questionnaire that you have created, which is trying to tease out how do we distinguish between clinical depression and perimenopausal or menopausal depression or hormonal and it's very difficult, isn't it? But tell me yes, about the MenoD questionnaire, just briefly, if you don't mind. The MenoD questionnaire is pretty much based on the symptoms that I was seeing with a slightly different quality of the depression in that irritability, hostility, rage as the first emotional responses was often what I was seeing rather than the classic sad crying take to bed kind of depression. I mean, certainly mm. we know that menopausal women can also have bouts of sadness and crying and taking to bed. But the rage and anger was really apparent. The fluctuations, the other side of it too, because often, you know, we'd have women present who were really feeling dreadful, feeling angry. Their families had had it, you know, it was all going pear-shaped. And then all of a sudden they'd come good. And then it led to this kind of invalidation of them because people would say, well, how come you, you're functioning so well this week and last week mm. you were a disaster? And this is kind of the invalidation of the woman as well. Or worse, she would be diagnosed as having bipolar disorder and then specifically bipolar type 2. Mm. And then out would come all the nuclear weaponry of psychiatric drugs and it was just awful. So I thought we need to get some pseudo-objective way to try and point out that there are different symptoms. And so I, I incorporated the rage, the anger, the also the body symptoms, mm. which does include hot flushes down the track, but, you know, starts off with the tiredness, the brain weariness, the body weariness, those sorts of more softer symptoms that you probably wouldn't pick up in the usual depression, mm. major depressive disorder. My biggest point with the MenOD is in the title. It's menopausal depression because I wanted to get that out there to just say, even if you don't do much else, just recognise that there is an entity that is menopausal depression mm. And it's going to, once you recognise that this has got a different causality, hopefully as a clinician you'll realise there are different possible treatments that you can use. Mm. So, look, it's by no means a perfect scale. It's got lots of difficulties in the sense of 
you know, we did quite a bit of validation work on it, but sure, it's not the be-all and end-all, but I like the title just because it hits people between the eyes. Yeah. This is different. And I think it's a real start, and I think often when I'm training and talking to other people, it's about involving the woman as well. And so many women, yes. if I say to them, do you think this could be related to your hormones? They'll say, oh, my God, yeah, I'm not depressed. But at three in the morning, I think about how I'm going to end my life. Or just before I have my periods is where I plan what I'm going to do to really harm or mm. kill myself. But I don't want to be like that other times. And they're quite clearly mm. saying, and also I see a lot of women who tell me all this, but they've got a lot of insight into it. Whereas I've seen a lot of people in the past who have really severe clinical depression, they have no insight. They don't care mm. whether they're going to jump off a cliff or not whereas these women really don't want to do it and it's very subtle and I think this is where we need to involve we need to involve our patients with everything that we do but I think listening to them when they have mental health issues and often when they're saying well I felt like this after I gave birth to my first second third child I felt like this before my periods when I was a teenager in my 20s. I feel it could be related. Then I think we owe it to our patients, don't we, to think about hormones as well, when we know hormones are so safe as well. And, you know, I spoke to someone who runs a ketamine clinic recently. He's a professor of psychiatry. And I said to him, why don't you screen women for perimenopausal menopause before prescribing ketamine for them and he said oh louise i'm too scared to prescribe hrt i'm like oh my goodness i would be far too scared to draw up a prescription for ketamine so there's this sort of area where people are scared whereas we have to change it and i think for new generations of doctors they're a lot more open-minded maybe and we need to just keep the narrative going because it will improve the future mental health of women without a shadow of a doubt won't it yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I think it's – I often wonder where did that I'm scared of the hormone um, come from? Was it the Women's Health Initiative yeah, in the 2000, yeah. 2001? But I'm not sure. I, you know, I think even before that there was a reluctance mm. and then it just, of course, you know, became yeah. really the reluctance set in and it's still worrying that, you know, I still catch up with patients who say, oh, my GP, my primary health care doctor will not prescribe HRT because they believe that everybody who gets HRT gets breast cancer. Mm. I go, well, that's completely nonsense. Yes. You know, but <laughs> where does it come from? Well, it's really hard. And you know, I've often phoned and spoken to different doctors who have refused HRT for their patients and their women who I've been really worried about their mental health. And they're saying, well, there's a risk of breast cancer. Well, actually, there's a risk of death in these ladies. And if they do jump off a cliff or do whatever, their risk of death is 100%. So let them decide, actually. And I think this is where we have to use a lot of common sense as well. So, but there's... There's a huge amount we need to do and it's been really enlightening Absolutely. talking to you and I hope this will let people just think a bit more about the mental health. We've got resources on the balance-menopause.com website on the Balance app. We'll share a link to the MenoD questionnaire as well and I'm hoping that we can do so, even though we're very far away from each other, that we can do some more joined up work with this and really take it forward to help future generations. So before we finish though... I'm just going to put you on the spot. I always ask for three take-home tips. And so I'm just really, really keen to learn from you three ways. If women have been listening or, or relatives or partners or friends of people who they think are struggling with their mental health 
possibly due to their menopause you know they're listening going that's me what are the three things that you would say to women who are thinking about their mental health symptoms being related to their hormones first of all I would say trust your instinct because you don't get to be a 45 year old woman and not know a thing or two Mm. so I would say trust your instinct because you know you you live with you so if you are having up and down variations in your mood that there's nothing particularly going wrong in your world, then you're right that there is something that needs hormonal attention. That's number one. Number two is look at your background history. If you were that woman who did get premenstrual depression or had a terrible postnatal depression or something postnatally in the mental health sector, then that's the second thing that's a clue that you must take notice because you are more sensitive to your hormonal fluctuations. So that's point number two. Point number three is a little bit more tricky, but I have found that some women who have early life trauma, and I define early life trauma as emotional neglect, emotional abuse, physical abuse, and of course sexual abuse, in their background story, that that tends to screw up the hormonal signals and the neurochemistry. So that is another group who are more vulnerable. And if you have that background, then you're more vulnerable. But in all three points, that vulnerability can be helped. So my fourth point would be go and see Louise Newsom's clinic if you're in the UK. We'll try and see who can help you in Australia. But, you know, You can safely try HRT or HT as it's called, Mm. hormone therapy. If you don't like it, you can stop it. If you like it, it helps you, then that's great. But it's just another treatment and we shouldn't be scared of it. Mm. Great advice. So thank you ever so much for your time, especially so late at night. Pleasure. And I look forward to speaking to you again. So thanks very much. Thank you for chatting to me. For more information about the perimenopause and menopause, please visit my website balance-menopause.com or you can download the free Balance app which is available to download from the App Store or from Google Play.